Bossable podcast is sponsored by Neural Leadership Group Finland. I've attended their six-month brain-based coaching program, and I'm happy to have them as a sponsor because that was one of the best training programs I've ever attended. I took the program several years ago, and I still use the stuff I learned pretty much every day. Neural Leadership Group's brain-based approach is about using the science we have about the human brain and applying it to teamwork, leadership, and, well, basically any human interaction. Its solutions focused and emphasizes succeeding together in an interconnected world. If you're tired of traditional development programs and looking for something different to help your teams grow, you should check this out. Go to neuroleadership.fi, that's N-E-U-R-O, leadership.fi, and mention Boss Level when enrolling to a training program starting this year, and you'll get a 5% discount. Neuroleadership.fi Hey everyone and welcome back. We are at the beginning of season 6, which starts now and runs every two weeks until June. I'm recording this in my new studio, which I rented starting January. The podcast was a great excuse to rent a studio, which I'll also be able to use for music stuff. Season 6 is shaping up to be pretty awesome. I just recently confirmed quite a big name for this season. This is as long as we can find a time for the interview, but I'm pretty confident that we can manage that. If you want to take a guess on who this guest could be, tweet at adbosslevelpod, and if you guess it right, I'll send you a special surprise prize. And before we get to the episode, I have two more things that I want to mention. First, our company, Tomorrow Labs, is hiring. We're looking for developers to join us in building blockchain and machine learning applications. If you're interested, drop me a line at sami at tomorrow.fi. Second, the podcast is always looking for sponsors. Get in touch soon by emailing sami at bosslevelpodcast.com. Okay, but enough blabber. Let's get to the content. My first guest for the season is Temu Arina. Temu is a biohacker, a technologist, an entrepreneur, and he was recently selected as public speaker of the year in Finland. We talk about biohacking and the science behind it. And we talk about how biohacking strives for balance instead of maximizing performance in all areas of life. Hope you like it. Let's actually start with biohacking and let's start with uh, very basic. So you talk about biohacking. How do you define it? What does that actually mean? Well, biohacking is the application of hacker ethic to what it means to be human. So hacking actually is not a negative term. It was um, popularized by media as a negative term. But in fact, it's about anyone who's deeply interested in how systems work. For example, you could be a computer hacker, obviously, looking at how computers work and, you know, trying to figure out how to maybe affect them in a certain way. Then you can be uh, 
an astronomy hacker, or it could be a geography hacker, it could be a travel hacker, it could be a biohacker. So as a biohacker, I'm looking at health and well-being and human performance. And what we are talking about here is optimizing what it means to be human. And you mentioned that hacking has been popularized to me as something that's negative. And I think that was in connection with like computer hacking, where that meant like illegal uh, breaches of computer system. They used it as a synonym for cracking, yeah, which exactly. is actually to break into systems. Yes. And well, in a way, I'm I'm breaking into the human system and figuring out how it works and, you know, drawing blood and using variables and ways to measure uh, things that are going in my body. And then obviously doing systemic interventions like application of uh, food and supplements and uh, sometimes electric current and... Um, Holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's so many things that you can do right there. When we talk about biohacking, what's the goal that you're kind of trying to achieve? When are you done? When we're talking about optimizing human performance, some people think it's kind of like Daft Punk's song, like better, faster, stronger. And if you look at the entrepreneurial culture in Silicon Valley, you know, or just anywhere in the world, it's often that that you should put your hours in and you shouldn't necessarily sleep even because otherwise someone else will be building your dream. The way how I see it is that it's about balance. So optimizing and optimal is not actually more or better or stronger. It might be a side effect of it. But the fact is that most people are just burning themselves out. So when it comes to biohacking, what we are looking at is the balance. And it turns out that if you look at any kind of biological organism or any kind of ecosystem what it strives for is stability through balance so if there is something that is out of balance the system tries to balance itself and often these imbalances lead to disease and that's the problem if you find the balance you can get more done you can live a happier healthier life it's so simple And I think that's also kind of key in many systems that have come before biohacking that are looking at finding the optimal balance of what it means to be human. If you look at yoga or you look at Zen Buddhism or you look at martial artists, like at the level where they are grandmasters, usually it's a balance between themselves and their environment, their training and rest. So if you ever wonder why You know, in all those kung fu movies, as much as they can produce power and speed, they also meditate. They take it slow. So that's the balance. But in today's society, people don't take the balance. They just, you know, drink coffee and they just, you know, uh, take uppers and stimulants and uh, they stay stay up late. And they might even take... Um, uh, medications just to you know be able to keep up with the pace of the society but there is a way to keep up with the pace without killing yourself in the process and i think if you're running a company and you're running yourself like completely opposite of what it means to be and uh, running yourself in an optimal manner you are also endangering the future of your own company because you are not going to be able to make sane decisions you're not necessarily alert 
people around you will feel that you're nervous or stressed or sleep deprived just sometimes surprises me when I look at media articles. Let's say there are politicians and they're making important decisions. Yeah, that's crazy. And like... you, know, you know, they are bragging that they didn't sleep last night when they were making a decision. Yep. Things like that kind of like um, that people have to somehow prove that they're important, have to prove that I'm doing stuff. Um, in Finland, especially if you ask people like, how are you doing? They might answer, yeah, it's kind of busy, you know, I'm you know running from here and there. Uh, it, people are supposed to answer like that. Sure. But what if you say, you haven't, I haven't been doing anything, you know, I've been just chilling out. Mm. You're a loser. Yeah, you're a complete loser. <laughs> yeah. So so this kind of sedentary sure. lifestyle and just not doing anything is not appreciated. Kind of like, oh. Uh, yeah. It's crazy how during like really important negotiations and they just like they over the, the, the time that they spend on, on the negotiations, they just go completely overboard and they end up spending the whole night talking about the same things and not going home for for sleep and it, or if they go back home for sleep they go for like three hours and then meet up again and i think that's probably the worst way to get like good decisions done yeah <laughs> having said that i think life is not something where you can even sleep seven eight hours a night and you know sleep on a regular basis uh, or or even eat uh, but you have deadlines sure there is air travel there's a lot of things that just happen so then as a biohacker what i'm looking at is damage control so how i'm how do i manage these kind of situations like there is a way for you know going for four or five hours a night and not destroying yourself in the process and still to be able to be alert if you're conscious about the way how the human body works uh, you can basically use those as an advantage in those situations you can implement different strategies depending on the context just like someone who is a professional athlete and they need to go through several drills how do you maximize recovery between those or how do you reduce inflammation uh, all of those strategies are great in such a situation where you need to do a lot in a short period of time but when you are actually in your growth period when you are actually uh, putting in the training so in in order to get results and growth that's when you have to also take some time to recover uh, but if things go really intense you can also sustain yourself longer if you know what you're doing so it's all about balance and kind of figuring out the keys uh, to, to these kind of methods and interventions sure. and that kind of intrigues me So you actually already several times you mentioned you you started talking about systems and you already mentioned systemic interventions. So I, I'm assuming that how you see this is you see the human body as a system and and probably in connection with the environment that you are in. So can you talk a little more about that? Yes, absolutely. If we think of ourselves as complex systems, every single cell in your body is dividing and a new cell is formed. And that process is controlled by something called mitosis. And if something goes out of hand with that process, we know the consequence. It might lead to cancer, for example, so abnormal growth. Or uh, you might get DNA damage or you might get um, abnormal growth and all that. So our body, we, what we have is genetics. But that's just like an instruction manual for certain situations. 
what really dictates what happens is epigenetics, and epigenetics is linked to your environment and environmental factors. So scientists are now discovering that although we have this instruction manual, the input is super important to that system, how that behaves, so how certain protein synthesis might go, for example. But actually, who you are is not a simple answer because you are an ecosystem, you are a network, you are a complex system. And um, bacterial diversity has been linked to health and reduction of that diversity has been linked to all kinds of health consequences and and autoimmune disease and uh, reduced immunity and so on. And when you eat a very narrow diet, so you're eating the same food items over and over again, you are feeding only specific bacteria and the other ones will starve. So we are inhabited by by um, alien organisms that are hijacking our brains to do stuff. And if we destroy those guys, you know, we're destroying ourselves in the process. So you are what you eat. You are what you eat, you are what you breed, but you are not your thoughts, Yes, that I can tell you. Yeah. So uh, you already mentioned uh, some of the some of the science, and you talk about like use terms from from like very scientific terms. So, what what's the link between biohacking and the the actual science uh, that's progressing around health? Uh, is in a way what I'm asking is like how sound is uh, is biohacking from a scientific viewpoint? Well, biohacking is uh i mean it can be sound or it cannot be it depends of who's using it and for what reasons um when it comes to biohackers they are usually using themselves as guinea pigs for things so if you're using yourself as a guinea pig so you run an experiment you are conscious what you are doing you have a theory you have a some kind of um hypothesis that if i do this that might happen so there is a lot of research out there, obviously, that you can use to inform yourself to build a stronger hypothesis. Now, what I also use is expert advice. So I'm talking to specialists. And not every specialist is always using, you know, the most well-founded research. And sometimes that works. I mean, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger who said that, you know, the stuff that is now coming out of science uh, they were doing, you know, 20 years ago. Yep. And 20 years ago, there was no proof for it. But but I, I believe in certain expertise that arises from between the words uh, mm. and uh, from, from specific interpretation. Now, then there is quantified self, so ways to gather and measure things. And if I'm taking something like expert advice, or if I'm taking something like scientific papers and meta-studies or whatever, I like to test things on myself because I'm a unique biological organism. If you look at my genetics, it's different from yours, um, the way how my body works in certain situations. So what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. Statistically speaking, we can talk about, you know, what has the highest likelihood of working. If we talk about you know, going to the gym and, you know, getting supplements, probably the safest one. But then there is a bunch of things that people are doing that don't have as much evidence behind them. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do them. You can try and test things on yourself and you can follow your blood work. You can look at your physical performance. So there is ways to then look at things from your own perspective. Does this have an effect? And then judge if you will continue this or not. And that's biohacking. 
But I think what's kind of a dangerous line in that is is when n is one, and you're using yourself as a guinea pig, and then uh, you end up recommending things to others or talking about how others should do things, and then you're kind of uh, if if you end up doing that, you're once again kind of violating what you were just saying about everyone being unique, and you're also violating the fact that like. That's not scientifically valid. That's something like with N one something works. That's actually not proof at all that it works. I totally agree with that. So I don't. I don't think like subjective experience is necessarily the best way to figure out things. But when it comes to recommendations, what we are, for example, recommending in the Biker's Handbook is over one thousand five hundred references, five hundred pages, or five years of work. Most of those are meta studies. There is no speculation in there. There is no subjective experiences in there. So it's a handbook. I mean, it just lays out, you know, how the human body works and what methods and interventions have the highest efficacy based on science. And then we also give you the tools to figure out how you can maybe measure and. Uh, uh, judge things on your unique case because not even all of that is going to work. But in the end, life is a journey of discovery. It's it's a way of figuring out things. And I think it would be also lazy not to push the boundaries. Yeah. I mean, nothing in science has ever, uh, ever been, you know, uh, uh, discovered without taking some risks, obviously, uh, and, yeah, and yeah. trying and testing hypotheses that there was no evidence yet. So there is a level of abstraction also in our reality that uh, gives rise to tools that you can use that have practical applications and use in certain contexts and situations. It doesn't mean that there is absolute truth to them, and that's kind of. The problem with science, and that's the problem also with our life on this planet, is that we can't know anything for sure. And um, as much as I'm against uh, fundamentalist believers who believe in all kinds of fairy tales, I'm also against fundamentalist scientists who believe that you know their theory is the right one, and you know it's, it will never be thrown out of the window. I mean, if you just look at the history of science, you, you go 100 years back. What we were doing in medicine, what were we doing, you know, in many areas of life, was not necessarily the wisest thing to do. So we have to be very careful with all kinds of fundamentalist recommendations uh, when we talk about food. Uh, in that and uh, nutrition, in that world, there is a lot of um, uh, racism against specific food ingredients, yep. like specific fats. You know, one camp is saying saturated fat is bad. The other one is saying no, it's you know omega six, too much omega six oils against omega three oils is is not good. Another camp is talking about vegetable based oils uh, that, that those are uh, the culprit for production of trans fats uh, because they oxidize so easily and they're not so stable and it's kind of a major part of our diet. I mean, it's about the dosage. Some of those is more toxic in higher quantities. So when we come back to what I said earlier about bacterial diversity, that also applies to the diversity of food that we eat. I mean, if you are eating huge amounts of grains and bread, obviously get symptoms. If you eat a huge amount of sugar, of course you get symptoms. If you eat huge amounts of fat, of course you also get symptoms. You know, maybe it's a reduction of microbial diversity in your gut. Maybe it's a, uh, you know some micronutrient deficiency you're getting. So when you increase the diversity of things that you're exposed to, 
you probably are pretty safe. Uh, so that kind of brings us back to the balance. Our ancestors were eating in a seasonal manner. They were eating, you know, all kinds of things that came on their way. They were not eating, you know, six meals a day. So we are now going back to, you know, ancestral living methods and things like paleo diet and paleolithic living or ancestral living is a huge trend. But that's not either like science. It's just like going deeper and just like, okay, what is kind of balance here? And that's what I'm interested in. And often you find health in the end of that spectrum. Basel podcast is sponsored by kevytjuridiikka.fi. Kevyt Juridiikka is an agile law firm that was built to rethink law and make it more approachable, flexible and strategic. They offer modern legal services for companies operating in Finland and online. They take care of your mandatory legal matters efficiently and create innovative solutions for solving your business challenges. And what's best, you don't need to worry about getting a huge invoice. They're cost-effective and they'll give you the price up front. Go to kevyturedekapistefi and send them your legal questions. What you you were talking about is that basically science is slow, that it kind of like... It's always lagging behind what's happening because that's how science works. I mean, especially when we're dealing with biology, uh, it's not as exact as physics or mathematics and you just can't get results without doing like empirical studies and empirical studies take way more time than than doing math, for example. And that's very understandable and that's why exactly why we need people who are like pioneers and, and still try out things and the kind of, the, in, a, in a way, the science follows But what's kind of problematic about that is that when you're at that level or you're using yourself as a guinea pig, then it's actually really hard to distinguish between, let, let's say, biohacking and and like some supplements that are like homeopathic supplements or or like unicorn treatments or, or any of that stuff. Because like there is no... What's wrong with unicorn treatment? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's because you can you can basically use ex- the same reasoning with with all of that you can say that like there's the science that can take us this far and and we can't go further so we kind of have to use subjective evidence and you can use subjective evidence for basically anything sure i mean as a biohacker of course i'm taking that slightly more beyond subjective uh experience because i'm actually measuring That's things true, yeah. i'm using lab tests you know sure. i might do a placebo-controlled, uh, blind blind placebo-controlled test on myself. You know, I might take a supplement that does nothing. I might take another supplement that does something, and I might ask someone else to administer that to me. So then I can figure out with, let's say, if that's supposed to improve cognition, then I can run cognitive tests and see if that works in my case. So in that way, I can eliminate some of the um, expectations that are often part of, you know, all those unicorn treatments. Sure. So... With biohacking, I think it's more sane than a lot of the complementary and alternative medicine practices because it dives deeper into into research. It actually uses, you know, medical uh, staff and labs and experts and all that to inform uh, the person on the situation. But instead of doing something only when you get symptoms, when you get sick, we are doing things before you get sick. So it's about about prevention in many ways. And then the question is like, are the things that I'm doing doing anything? And it brings us back to one of the definitions of biohacking, which is that biohacking is 
the art and science of better living through science, technology, and nature. So you have to make some guesses. And what we're talking about here is how do you make a well-informed guess? And actually, not a lot of people do it. So there is a also a difference between you know, reading a study that, you know, meta study is saying something and then actually, you know, doing it and then actually also measuring and figuring out if that works in your case. I mean, it's hard work. You have to be ready to face things. And in this context, often people come and say, and they, oh, but life is also about enjoyment. Uh, you know, if you take something like food, you know, I want just want to have, you know, enjoy that cake and uh, that dessert or I just like alcohol, you know, I, I love, you know, great drinks and, you know, the, the, what it does to, you know, how I feel and how I interact with other people. And it's kind of a social thing also, a cultural thing. Come on, you can't take our culture away. And when you go deeper into that kind of reasoning also, you see the flaws. I, I think it's a very human thing to be reductionist, to not be able to see the complexity of what things are. And just like, search for simple solutions or simple answers to very complex questions. Mm -hmm. And and this is what I see people doing. You know, they want, you know, give me the diet that I need to eat to be healthy or give me the exercise program that's going to make me, you know, look great in 30 days. But there is no recipe like that. Sorry. Uh, You have to do the hard work. You have to figure out things, what works in your case. And that's much, much more complex. And it requires you to look yourself into the mirror and uh, ask, am I ready for this? Am I ready to do you know, all these things? And, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm super interested in also in our relation with tools and technologies and machine learning you know, and artificial intelligence and all that. What computers can do, they can tirelessly crunch all those numbers. They can look at the fuzzy things and um, uh, they can apply heuristics and complex analysis on things where humans make errors over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think where humans excel is not in productivity, not in efficiency, but creativity. To be able to kind of push the boundaries of what it, you know, how the universe works and kind of figure out things and create new products and services and inventions and technologies. So in, in that sense, I'm a technological determinist. I believe that a lot of our uh, progress and evolution comes from our relationship with our tools and you know our scientific thought and all that. What is key is the progress. And as we are moving human work out of situations where humans used to be just cogs in the machine, like in the assembly line or in a factory, you free a lot of human potential to actually create new things, to discover new things, because you are no longer running just things. And I actually really like how Katri Sarakivi, the, the brain scientist, how uh, she defines work. She defines work as something that arises from uh, human problems or human needs. And if that's the definition that you have for work, then that means that work is not going to disappear when computers take over or algorithms take over some of the some of the work that we're currently doing. That means that the needs of human beings will change. And as a result of that, there will be new work. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Katri works a lot with, uh, for example, with Esko Kilpi, who has been like the pioneer of uh, knowledge work and um, this type of work. And and he, he one of his kind of statements is that 
work is uh, creative work that we do in interaction. So the valuable work is the work that we do with other people, the kind of work that is non-cognitive and which is a routine. It will be outsourced. It will be moved to machines. Um, the kind of work that is complex, which is non-routine, uh, which is uh, cognitive, that's kind of the work that is going to still be valuable in the future. Sure. Closing off, what have been the most successful uh, hacks that you've implemented and, and gotten most of the benefits from? Uh, I mean, there is so many when it comes to biohacking, but just the kind of realization of the balance of things, I think is, is one of the key things that I discovered while I was trying to optimize things, while I was trying to improve things or perform better, was actually that it's not about more, it's about uh figuring out the balance that we have lost um, recently. The thing that kind of is very interesting to me is how we deal with stress. So behind a lot of kind of the societal issues that we have today in terms of health come from stress in one way or another. We sit too much, we work too much, you know, we don't sleep enough, we consume too much. Now, people talk about flow state, in a flow state, there is uh, some some activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. You lose also sense of time and you're kind of fully immersed into what you do. It, it's not stressing you out. I think that's a very healthy state to be in. That's when your breathing rate goes down. That's when your uh, heart rate goes down. That's when you are able to assess the situation and maybe even think more creatively instead of impulsively. And that state can be achieved when you feel safe, uh, not pressured or in a rush. There is ways to trigger these kind of states, like flow states. There's also ways to trigger restful states. And some of the most effective ones is um, cold immersion. When you immerse yourself into cold, there is a parasympathetic nervous system response after that. Also, when you go to sauna, as you're sitting on the uh, outside looking at the lake, you know, you're breathing slowly out. <sighs> That's when you feel parasympathetic nervous system really kicking in. Um, uh, reading stories and uh, immersing yourself in imagination. All of those things are, I think, actually key to human happiness. And that's also the key to balance. And how do you kind of bring those things into your day? Uh, I'm I'm doing it constantly. Like I mean, I, before coming here, I actually went to a sauna. After this, I think I'm gonna go for uh, uh, some ice swimming. Um, I might do some meditation at some point of the day because it really clears out my my mind so that I find more focus in the work that I do. Well, I mean, this brings the circle back where we started from. If we talk about professional athletes, for example. Growth doesn't happen in stimulus, it happens in rest. Uh, you don't run a marathon after a marathon, you rest before you run a marathon. And I think that kind of metaphor or logic should be applied to anyone who wants to perform well, who wants to really kick ass. So figure out the most effective ways to recover and bounce back from whatever you're doing is kind of key. If you want to find clarity and real results, it's also about finding a way to slow down and do that in a very effective manner. 
Thanks for listening, and I hope you picked up something useful from that discussion. To learn more about the topics, go to biohackingbook.com or in Finnish, biohackerit.fi. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Talk to you then.